Hello and welcome to this edition of Finance and Technology Insights. I'm Brian Williams of Northshire Consulting. I'm Eric Bjornorf, CEO of Evernet Consulting. How's it going, bud? Uh, it's going pretty well. How about you? Doing pretty good. Uh, how was the, uh, so you want to jump right into it and uh, tell everybody where you are and how you got there? Yeah, that's that sounds good. That sounds, that's a good lead in it. Very, uh, very teasy. Uh, so yeah, I'm down in Florida. I'm down in the villages. So for those of you not familiar with the villages, that is a um, retirement community and all encompassing retirement community, which uh, has a population of over 100,000 people. It is a 55-plus community. Uh, I'm visiting my mother-in-law here. I'm not uh, not quite ready. Got a ways to go before I can uh, buy into it here. But uh, lots going on here. Lots of expansion. Um, it's a very interesting lifestyle. So I was in a I was in a networking group, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I said uh, one of the things I mentioned is kind of use your vacation as a as a mini retirement. It's a good way to kind of test things out and try things out if you're you know, saying that you want to, you know, retire and go to the beach somewhere, but every time you go on vacation, you go for a week and get bored of it. That's probably not a good fit for you. But um, yeah, it's something to think about as you, as you get a little older. Good point, use, good point. Thank you. Kind of use your vacations as a way to test things out and go, yeah, I, I could do this for a few months of the year. I could do this for 12 months of the year. I could do this for no months of the year. But uh, no, it's pretty, pretty interesting living. We are, uh, down here, obviously, with my wife and, and my five-year-old son, and so he's getting ready for kindergarten in a couple of weeks. But I mean, he's just turned into a, a pool guy. He's he's always at the pool here now, so he's uh, he's loving that. They're they're at the pool now. We drove over in the golf cart, um, so it's about four tenths of a mile away. And then I I walked back early to do to do this show. But um, you guys have already hit the pool this morning. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's that's where it's at. So we. Wow. Uh, Yesterday, yesterday I ran in the morning. Um, the weather down here has been brutal. The heat's just just been awful. But uh, so I tried to get out as early as I can. Um, so I ran yesterday, and then we went to the pool. Today we just we just walked, and uh, I'll probably run after this show. But uh, yeah, pool's open at seven thirty. So uh, so let's let's get to the goods. How did you get yeah. there? How did we get here? So good question. We took a train. This was our first experience for any of us doing the overnight sleeper car. So what we did is we uh, normally we go out of Meriden, which is a, a really small town close to close to where I live. And then it connects to Hartford and, and New Haven. But the times didn't quite work out. So we drove to New Haven. Uh, we had a, a friend drop us off. We took uh, just regular Amtrak, regular seats to um, to D.C. And now when I say just like regular seats, I don't want people to compare that to uh, being on a plane because it is infinitely different. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm six two. I could stretch out with my legs in full with a backpack in front of me. I had an open seat next to me the whole time. Um, you're in, uh, two sections of two. So it's, uh, you know, two. And then my wife and son were across the, across the aisle. He bounced back and forth, obviously a little bit. Um, but, uh, so that's like night and day compared to a plane. So, um, and then when we got to DC, we switched trains, we went on a sleeper car. So we did an overnight, we left about three o'clock. So they kept uh, you on the same train while you were at, um, Grand Central or did you go to Penn? Uh, yes. Yeah. Did you go to Penn or Grand Central? Um, it was Penn. It's Moynihan, called Moynihan station now, but yeah. So, oh. so that was basically just another stop, mm. um, you know, so it was like, a. A bit, a little bit of a longer stop. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll do longer stops because they'll refill the water. They'll, you know, right. crash out and, and stuff like that. So, um, so that was, was like a half hour there or more or less. Yeah, it might have even have been a little bit less. Um, and the thing with trains is there's there's always like a, you're always either a little bit ahead or a little bit behind. It's not. I mean, obviously you can have flight delays too, but it's not as specific. It's not as tight as that. So, you know, you might see on the schedule that they're planned. To, a 20 minute stop and maybe they're running a little bit behind. So that stop only becomes 15 minutes or whatever. So there's, there's announcements um, throughout the, throughout the trip and before the stop, like, Hey, we're stopping here, but it's just, we've only got a few, they know who, who's getting off obviously based on the tickets and they know who's, who's getting on so they can time that. Um, but then there's others where they're like, all right, we're in Jacksonville. This is 
uh, crew change and we're going to stop here for 20 minutes. So if you want to get out and stretch your legs, uh, those people who want to smoke can do that. If you want to go inside and use a um, more regular bathroom or something, that's sometimes people prefer that option. So, um, but yeah, that was really good. So we did the sleeper car from DC to Orlando. And um, so the way they do it, there's different room sizes, but what we did is we had two rooms. They will only allow three, they will only allow two people per room. Um, even if you have an infant, they won't let both parents and an infant in the same room. So so we got two rooms and then each room, the seats fall down into a bed. Again, I'm 6'2". I had, I had no issues there. 6'4", uh, maybe you'd start to run into a little bit issue. Okay. I'm there. And then, uh, and then there's a bunk above that um, it's, it's always intact. So it doesn't fold or anything, but the height is adjustable. So when mm -hmm. it's not being used, it's a place to store luggage, which is great. Um, or you can, you know, kind of raise and lower it for... Uh, and that's where my son slept. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was really pretty awesome. I was texting back and forth with you and showing you. Yeah, some pictures, the but, pictures uh, are great. I was enjoying it. I was living through you. I, I've always wanted to take a train over, a, over, a, overnight. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. It really was great. There's this, um, there's a few different names for it, but like the idea of like this train brain type of thing where it's like, when you get, you know, half an hour into the train, there's like this feeling of, like there's nothing more you can do. It's just a very strange feeling. Even when you're home, you've got that constant, like, you know, there's things you could be doing. You could be working around the house. You could be doing whatever. And then when you're on the plane, there's always kind of like that anxiety of, you know, landing or being on time or what you're, if you've got a connecting flight or if you've got somebody picking you up, there's always a little bit of that too. Even though you do kind of settle into a plane ride, the train is like totally different. You know, you've, you've got your book, you've got your, devices wi-fi wasn't great so we could get into that more but uh yeah i mean so you just you just kind of settle in and you're looking out the window and you're like all right man this this is it this is was it like cathartic? was it relaxing and yeah just definitely of, is that what you're kind of invoking there yeah yeah that it was just like this feeling of like calmness sets over you you're you're not in control of anything which is okay you're not too worried about time uh, my mother-in-law picked us up in orlando so it wasn't like we you know that was my next question. When, at what point did the train start heading um, uh, west? You know, because I the Amtrak line runs the east corridor. You know, that's north and south. So, yeah. was it from Jacksonville? Did you take a connector down to Orlando? Yeah, it goes to. So the final stop is is Miami. So it kind of goes over to Orlando and then and then down from there. Um, but uh, I would say most people, I think, got off at Orlando. It's kind of hard to tell. But, and um, how long are the village? How far are the villages from Orlando? Like, an hour? well, so so we went when she picked us up from the train station. We went to Disney World, so we did that for. Um, we stayed there two nights. So Saturday mm -hmm. was my wife's birthday, so we stayed there Friday night, Saturday night, and then we came to the villages on Sunday. Um, so Orlando train station to Disney was probably about half an hour or so, mm -hmm. a bit less than that. So that's so fun. Yeah, it really was great uh, train. It's like, that's it, part of the, you know, obviously the, the best thing to compare it to, I guess, time-wise is driving, but yet it's more like kind of a plane experience and that you're, you know, so it's kind of a cross between the two, but um, because it, it's, you know, more time-wise. So we left at eight o'clock on um, Thursday. Yeah, eight o'clock on Thursday, and then we were in DC by two. And when you have the sleeper car, you have lounge access. So we went to the lounge in in DC. I mean, we weren't there that long, but I mean, it's just it's just totally different. That even a train station is not as you know hectic as um, as an airport. I mean, less security um, that could be good or bad, but right, uh, right. you're not going through all that and. Uh, so you got that it's the more relaxing thing. We, we go to the lounge and then they come and get you. They're like, okay, you know, Williams family, whatever, we're taking you to your car. And then you walk out of the lounge and you're ex escorted to your room. Um, I think on our train car, there's probably 10 rooms. So it's five, you know, five and five split down the middle. And then your attendant, I think the attendant is just for that car, although it might've been two cars. Um, but there's two sleeper cars on the train and, um, yeah, we had, uh, dinner and breakfast there. So you walk through the other sleeper car and then there's the dining car. 
um, you have the option of, of having the dinner delivered to you in your room, which you know probably only psychopaths would do. What if you're training, you know, if you're driving alone or whatever? But of course, we wanted to hang out in the dinner dining car as long as possible because that is the you know it's wide open and you got the bigger yeah. windows and and everything. So that's was there an observation car too? Not in this one. On the on the western trains, there are. So if you're traveling from Chicago, you know west, there's there's but. I, honestly, I mean, stuff, yeah, there was stuff to look at and it was enjoyable to look out, but it's not the same as kind of going the lounge the bar is the only opportunity to kind of like feel space. when Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could. Um, I mean, we got out and kind of walked and around the hallways. You can go. Uh, there is a snack car, too, which is different than the dining car, which is open to everybody. So the dining car is just for the overnight guests, whereas the snack car is you know, that's open to everybody. So you could go there and there's some tables there. And if you're, which we did um, actually on the, uh, on the trip from New Haven to DC, Luke and I went to the snack car and just kind of sat at that table for a little bit and had some peanut M&Ms and all that good stuff. Well, that's all awesome. Right. I'm, I'm completely envious of you. I, I uh, uh, romanticize about uh, Americana and, and rail travel and, my friends kind of troll me about it because I'm always like, let's take the train wherever possible. But, you know, being, yeah. in, being in central Connecticut, it's, it's most times impractical mm -hmm. to use the train as a as a as a uh, practical mode of transportation. They, they just didn't connect Boston to Hartford and New York to uh, to Hart Hartford. So we're always via New Haven or Waterbury or whatever. And mm -hmm. it's really too bad. Yeah, it really is. If you ever see a fun map to look up, if you ever see like like train travel at its peak, the amount of rails and stuff that were in this country, it's like, oh, that was such a mistake to just everybody, you know, the whole car centric thing, which we've talked about on here. But like, you know, all these downtowns that had trolleys and yeah, I mean, it's just so, man, I know, I know so I that if we had that going on now and, and i'm reading a book too which we could touch on too but it's funny how it all kind of ties in together but uh so i'm reading the uh power failure this is the rise and fall of an american icon talking about uh, general electric um, mm -hmm. and it's going back right to the beginning of um you know edison and schenectady and the light bulb and all that stuff i'm only i got it yesterday so i'm through the first uh five chapters or something but you know talk about electrifying the the subways and their goal of you know electrifying the the cities and the trolleys and like all this kind of stuff it's like oh man we had such a good thing going but um yeah it's 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 kind of too bad the train travel is a little bit easier but i think what what is out there is a little bit underrated i mean i think we're in such a you know such a now like kind of speed speed thing of like getting there as fast as we can and i don't know i mean let, I think me, let me draw a comparison so last night in fact um did i tell you i'm i'm starting an mba program you did yeah we talked about that yeah i have that on my notes here all your licensing stuff i want to get into that but yeah yeah so i'm starting my mba we just um started getting communications from from the program director and it's going to be in hartford right at the um business um yukon business mm -hmm graduate business school or what have you. And we are where we live. We're right on a main drag right into Hartford. We're, we're in West Hartford. And there is a bus that, that goes right into Hartford. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like romanticize again about like just walking to the bus, you know, oh God, yeah. with the newspaper and the coffee or something. And, and uh, just having that like comfortable, well, first of all, the, the exercise, right? I mean, just being able to just get, you know, walk and kind of be outside and in for the practic practical purpose of commuting. And, um, but then you start looking, well, it's, it's about a 22 to 35 minute ride. And I'd have to walk to the, to the station, which is a nothing burger, but then walk to the school, which is again, down about two blocks, which again is manageable, uh, no parking to deal with, which is nice, but the school provides parking. It's right in a garage underneath, underneath the building. And the drive is only eight minutes. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's this calculus of what's, what's good, you know, what, what's the right thing to do? You know, do I add, uh, may, do I make an eight minute drive door to door, a 45 minute commute? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, it's tough, right? 
yeah, it's tough. It's uh, and then you know, what are you doing with your with your time? If you got that perfect podcast or something, you might say, yeah, then I'm not really wasting that extra time. You know, if you're, you need to get know. the exercise in anyways. I mean, if, the, if yeah. those if those are the steps, I mean, that's a that's a good use. But to be honest with you, um, I'm, I'm I'm coming to you live from a standing desk, and mm-hmm. I haven't put the treadmill under, but I bought a walking treadmill, which I have in the living room. So. When I do any sort of leisure TV, I'm 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 always walking, so I'm walking yeah. miles a day, anyways. So, uh, it's not exactly walking to the bus and doing that doesn't solve that problem necessarily. Right. Although still, yeah. there's something to that physicality of it, right? Yeah, yeah, and the idea of you know maybe sitting on the bus, meeting somebody new or different, you know, right. getting out to whatever. If you're somebody who works from home or is like home all the time and maybe don't have as much, you know, you've got a good, you know, obviously your family's there and community connection or something, but if you're, you know, somebody older, maybe living alone or whatever, you'd have to factor that in too. The other thing is uh, I, in our family, I'm the driver in the family and, and my wife's always, always happy to defer driving. You know, some, some families these days are, you know, split between drivers, but we're still, I don't want to say we're, classic we're we're just in this you know she's always happy to delegate and i'm always happy to take re- the responsibility you know mm-hmm. but there, anytime we go out together and we take an uber or something the novelty of just kind of being driven in the back seat yeah. you know what I mean? not taking responsibility enjoying my wife enjoying the kids when we're, we're mm-hmm. you know in in the transport you know that's kind of the, maybe what you were hearkening back to with the train and what i could get from the bus where in the period of transport you're reading emails, looking out the window, relaxing, you know, there's, there's a, um, the people who drive Teslas and self-driving cars, they say when they're going road trips with that thing and, and the car, let's say you're on the highway and the car can do, let's say 50% of the lane keeping and acceleration and braking management on the highway. They say they arrive just rested, refreshed, you know, there's a stress that, a taking responsibility for your safety and you know so does in direct in that direct context you know um so yeah anyways i I don't know i'll I'll play with the bus uh and see what happens but i'm not sure you know with the parking right on site i think it might i know i know it's tough plus uh, the start is 8 a.m so i i'll be trans i'll be traveling around the you know the 7 30 time frame with before rush hour so i'll be rush hour probably and that is that is a factor too. Whether you're traveling with commuters or traveling with you know kind of joy riders, that does change your experience a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, what's nice about the sleeper cars. Everybody was kind of going on vacation, or everybody had a story to tell, type of thing. Even when we left New Haven, it was past business hours, and even though we're going, you know, New Haven, New York, DC, it still didn't feel like a, like a business traveler type thing. So, um, but yeah, it was. I, I get that too because I'm the driver, only because I'm a good. I'm not a good passenger. Like I'm just not. I'm, I'm not either. I, I'm and it's and my wife's a very good driver, and I have no issue with her driving. Or if I think I'm going to be, uh, if I have like some kind of work to do, or if I think I'm going to be tired or something, I, I don't have any problem doing it. But I, I just prefer to drive. I just can't, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, I agree. But down here, it's funny. So when we have the golf cart. Um, Lauren drives the golf cart because she's she's down here more, so she knows where we're going. Right. So I I'm not somebody who likes to have like directions barked at me, so it's like, don't tell me you know left here, right here, like just just drive. So just go, yeah. So yeah, don't got, get me started on golf carts, right? I, yeah, I think, I, I think no. I've, I've 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 covered that ad nauseum. Yeah. Um, just keeping us moving along. Uh, I'm yep. just gonna uh, I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, say what I've been doing in the last week. I since we 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 last talked, I passed a um, a pretty good. Uh, how do I want to say this? A I don't want to say it's coveted. It's a um, let's help me out with with the, ah, sought after. Sought after. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, it, it's a it's a high level certification called the CIS I, CISSP. It stands for Certified Information Systems Security Professional. It's uh, for the IT industry. It's I think it's the pinnacle. I think it's the top from a um, all-encompassing. Um, it's the umbrella. You know, um, there are some really high-level 
uh, vendor specific and engineering specific uh, certifications, but this is the 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 big umbrella and from a from managerial standpoint. So uh, I've been studying. I don't know if we, I talked about that on the show this summer, but I I've been I started studying for it. I don't know uh, June maybe June July May June July something like that. So I uh, I passed and achieved that certification. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so what are your uh, preferred study methods? Are you like a listen to tape guy, video guy, read guy? Um, probably the triforce, the trifecta. Uh, the the book is is dense. The it's really it's this thick. So um, what I do is I read the book. Um, I read that book cover to cover. You know, probably four times. Um, I watched. There's a number of, I mean, YouTube is so amazing. The the, the uh, information that's on YouTube these days, everybody's just covering everything. It's it's incredible. So there were a number of test prep uh, instructions, instructors, kind of classes that were recorded. And I'm talking, these were, I think the longest one I took was 10 hours and 45 minutes on YouTube, watching that at 2X. And I think I watched that twice, uh, maybe a third time, and then even a second one. And then, uh, yeah, there was te- practice test prep um, software that I was taking. So that's that's kind of how I attack things. I, I just, um, when I was getting my pilot's license, I, I think I, I had already gotten my pilot's license before we started the show. But uh, when I got my pilot's license, it was just, it was just drinking and, and tr- soaking myself in the information. I just obsess over it. You know what I mean? Um, and that seems to be effective for me. Yeah. And to hear it from different angles and different voices. I mean, there's one thing to reading it and then a video, somebody will explain it a certain way and then listening to the audio of it. And yeah, you got to hear something seven, 10 times before mm-hmm. your brain believes you that it's, it's valid and right. i.e. learning before you learn something. Yep. So, and I understand that. So when I start learning something dense, it's, it's just, okay, let's hear, let's start hearing it, you know, mm-hmm. so, so I start learning. And then it's funny, I, this is what I tell uh, my staff uh, in the company. When I implemented a learning management system in our company, I've, I took all of our training and our processes and our, our SOPs, and I just recorded me training them and, and uh, our HR manager uh, and some and the team leaders are now starting to record their own training assets, which is wonderful. And all new hires have to take all of the company standard training and then their departmental and uh, specific business function training. And it's just us talking to them. And uh, some people like it, some people hate it. Uh, but the importance of it is it's going to take seven to 10 or more times for them to hear this. So if at minimum, you can just get the first one done autom- in an automated fashion. You know right. what I mean? Uh, and so that's, yeah, that's just how learning is. YouTube has, uh, you can listen to it Regular speed, obviously, 1x, 1.25, 1.5, I think 1.75 and 2. 2x is the highest, yeah. 2x, yeah. They definitely need like a 1.1, 1. 1, 1. Oh, you think? 1.5, yes, yeah. Because 1.25, I mean, it, to me, that it depends on what you're doing. It depends on the, the presenter and the cadence and all that stuff. But like when I listen to my podcast or uh, books on tape it's almost always like a 1.1 1. 1. Um, some of them I have to listen to at, at one um, like the comedy stuff I have to listen at like regular speed because part of it's the cadence and the you know the pausing and everything yeah, right. um, but yeah like on the on Google podcast you can do the slider anyway from I don't know probably even 1.05 or whatever probably goes in in hundreds and then it has an option to like trim silence so if there's a a little bit of dead air, it'll cut through it. But I find that I'm always searching for something on YouTube. It's like 1.25 is too fast. And one is like a little bit slow. So that's so funny for them to implement a slider in there that would give me a little more leeway there. But I, uh, I, I have developed when I first discovered the speed, I was, you know, started at 1.25 and it was like, Oh, hold on, hold on. You know, now I am fully proficient at 2X. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's wild, like the stream of information. In fact, when I'm researching or studying something, I'm in this weird state of mind where like I'm 
you know, Neo in the matrix, you know, in the chair or something like I just need the stream of information to just hit me. I'm ready to receive, you know, so plug me yeah. in, you know. Um, so, yeah. And I don't and I think that's got to that must be with practice, because I, I remember when I first I mean, I remember one point five when I turned it up to one point five. That was a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it may be I think once if you if you have, you know, a lot of this information that in fact, most of it has been um, information that I was already an, S, you know, an SME. I was already a subject matter expert in it, so to speak. Um, when you're taking a test, the test is just a frame framing of a body of knowledge. So you just have to study to get in the frame of mind of the association or the authority that's putting on the exam. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. And you have to, you have to get into the test maker's brain to figure out how they want to phrase how they right. want to phrase stuff. And right. you know, for me, it was, it was always kind of silly. I remember taking one of my first, I don't know if it was a series seven or some other securities type exam. And people were like memorizing all of the different, um, you know, if, if you do this, the penalty will be this. And I would wager to bet that probably 80 to 90%, whenever it's, it's something like that the answer is always like the most severe penalty because they're trying to get you a um trying to get get you to you know be a little bit afraid of the system or whatever like that right so, you know if you violate rule x the penalty is whatever it's like almost always the most severe one so exactly but you have to get into the test writer's brain and figure out what they're trying to accomplish right test, you know but um yeah, no, that's interesting about the about the two X thing. I find myself maybe I'm sort of caught in the middle because when I do one point two five, sometimes I'll my brain will, will drift, so I'll end up going back and probably spending you know more time than I saved doing the one point two five. But maybe if I went all in on like a two X, my brain wouldn't drift like that, so I'd be so locked in on it. So maybe I should try that a little bit more. It may be an acquired skill. It, it was for me. So yeah. If you wanted it, but I'm also like, I'm an information. I mean, you're kind of like this too. You're, you're an information junkie, right? I mean, you're just, yeah. you're glued to the stream, right? Of whatever your, whatever your interest is. Uh, sure. So it's interesting. Speaking yeah. of the stream, do you want to, uh, anything else personal you want to cover? You want to talk any news that, that came uh, up? You haven't had a show in what, two weeks? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, uh, trying to think of what we've done the last, last couple of weeks. I did do, um, not necessarily news related, but uh, I ended up running a half marathon with my old college coach, which was kind of funny because he's he's still at Sacred Heart. He's been there for uh, for 30 years now. And, uh, you know, it's like that age gap thing. You got like, you know, when I'm 18 and he's like 30, you know, the gap is like, wow, this guy's like, you know, so much older. But then when you're you know, 45 and he's, you know, 57 or whatever, like the age gap doesn't seem but uh so he mentioned that it's a race that he's done for uh, for 48 years in a row. He started when he was like in 11 or whatever. Yeah, because it used to run by his house when he was a kid. His, his um, well, his father passed away, but his mother's moved a couple blocks away. But it ran by him. And that's what got him into running and kind of excited about it. And he said, oh, I want to do that race some way, someday. So he did it when he was like 12 and did it through high school. And now he's came back in the summer to do this thing. So he's run it 48 years in a row. And uh, so he mentioned that to me. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go out and do that. Cause I had run it with him like 20 years ago and um, came back and, and we did that. But how that ties into the driving thing. I'm uh, like, I'm, I'm exhausted. It was super hot and whatever. And I hadn't run that far in a while, you know, on the ride home, my wife's sleeping, my son's sleeping. I'm like, what, how did that happen? How's that fair? these guys just got to sit around and watch, you know, they're like fast asleep and I'm driving home. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was kind of funny, but it did get me going again. It did get me at least running. I wanted to get to the point where I knew I was going to at least finish it. it necessarily wasn't the uh, pace wasn't their speed. Wasn't really the concern there. And uh, I knew I'd be able to run with him. So it's just a matter of being able to hold up and time on feet type of thing, just being able to make sure I could get through that. So that was kind of interesting. I thought, um, the uh, so New Haven hack that was probably one of the more interesting things that I saw you post about over the last couple of weeks. So walk yeah. us through what happened there. So yeah, a little housekeeping real quick. So uh, if you haven't subscribed already, give us a subscribe and a like. Um, we are on YouTube and your favorite podcast uh, videos on YouTube, 
And do we do video on the podcast networks or is it just audio? We do. Yep. Upload the video to our uh, podcast network, which is through Spotify. So the video is out there. Nice. Um, also, we also stream to um, our Facebook group and to our Facebook page. Right. Some videos are on there. Yeah, we do have a Facebook group where we we keep track of some articles. We pin some articles that we want to talk about or we find interesting. So uh, we talk about the personal and then we tra transition to talk about some news that we find interesting. Uh, so, yeah, New Haven, Connecticut Board of Education uh, hacked to the tune of six million dollars. I have the news article up. Let me do. Uh... Let me do this Chrome tab. I think this tab I can share here. Let me know when you have that. All right. I see it. So this is actually this morning's uh, article where the Board of Ed has met. They've met after the headlines have dropped. Following last week's $6 million cyber hack uh, on New Haven Public Schools, a New Haven Board of Ed member said the uh, board were the, said the board were one of the last to know. So what do you know about this? Uh, I know I know very little. I think you posted that while I was on vacation, so I'm not as much locked into this. I did read that. Um, I think I saw that they were able to recover some of the money. Um, I saw it was a typical like internal thing, right? Somebody clicked on something that they shouldn't have. And um, that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. Yeah. So this is pretty standard. Um, this is called a business email compromise, a BEC, uh, a hack or attack. And what, what, it, how it works is uh, somebody, everybody is uh, sent phishing emails that look perfectly legitimate or some otherwise legitimate, um, you know, an email looking from Microsoft, hey, your password's expiring, click here to renew your password or update your password. Some quasi threatening, you're about to lose something um, type email that uh, somebody receives and then they click on it, they, they're sent to a seemingly legitimate looking version of the of the website with you know old password new password new password and when you type in your old password and a presumed new password nothing happens or you get some fake acknowledgement and then the page might close or you go about your business uh, what the hacker is now doing is they're being notified by their system that they've just received a um a contribution and uh, they can now go to the website and log into your email system and they can now read and, and act as you in the email system. But what they do is they silently go right into your message rules. Mm -hmm. They create one or two message rules that say forward all inbound email to this inbox to this email address, an external email address that they're in control of. And uh, what is it forward all in to us and all out to us, right? So they want to see all in and out of uh, correspondences to your email. And then what they do is they just sit quietly uh, uh, monitoring emails in an organization. And this was very targeted. So they were sending the emails to the uh, COO of the uh, Board of Ed, I believe. And my information is not current to this moment. My information is about three or four days old. So if, it, if details have changed, you know, forgive that. But um, the, the methodology is the same. So somebody who has access to the purse um, was compromised. And then what happens is the last I knew they were sending payments to the bus company, the con bus con company contractor to the tunes of several millions of dollars. Okay. And uh, the, what happens is the correspondences to the, you know, the to, to the party, to the external party, you know, I'm sure was very casual. Hey, here's the invoice. Okay, we're reviewing it. Okay, the invoice looks good. Send us your routing number and account information. Okay, here's our, and all, all happening in, uh, in email, right? And then, yep. um, okay, we're going to release the funds now. Okay, release it to this account. And then what happens is the hacker, when they see that correspondence go, the, Okay, we're going to release funds. The hacker will send another email to the paying organization that they've compromised their inbox and say, oh, I'm sorry, there was a typo in the account number. Here's the updated account number. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then in, in the correspondence, okay, no problem. And then boom, the, the payment, uh, the funds get released to the hacker's account offshore or somewhere else. Um, and it's it's pretty basic, pretty pretty. I don't want to say it's funny. It's just, it's so simple. It's, it's just, 
It's so simple. And um, I wish I had a stat. I need to look up the stat um, because I was actually asked by a local news company to uh, come in. I think I'm, they may interview me next week to talk to talk about this. So I want to pull up some stats. But but off the top of my head, business email compromises are the leading attack vector for um, these kinds of attacks on organizations. The sad thing about it is we've known that BECs, business email compromise attacks, are the largest and biggest attack vector for organizations. The sad thing about that is multi-factor authentication goes far to preventing this or slowing these kinds of attacks down because mm -hmm. even if the hacker intercepts your, your password through the phishing attack, they still need to... Uh, I, the system will recognize a foreign and remote attempt to connect to the email uh, email box, and it should present a multi-factor authentication request, which is your phone or second factor smart key or smart card or your phone with an authenticator app or even an SMS, quite frankly. Um, and if multi-factor authentication is enabled for, uh, across the organization, that slows that attack way down. The attack can pivot to some sort of direct communication now with the victim and say, hi, I'm so-and-so from IT. I just sent you a security code to your phone. Can you read it to me? Okay. If, you, if you're that inept, then that multi-factor can, can be uh, circumvented there. In addition to that, or pre be, before that, previous to that, we've actually been recommending that you can actually, this, the message rules functionality to auto forward email is, is I, I don't have a stat on it, but in my 20 years of supporting email systems, um, I would say less than a percent of people use that functionality. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that functionality has huge security implications for the organization and, and very low uh, potential benefit to the organization. You know, it's just, it's just, not, it's just not balanced. And, right. uh, and Microsoft in recent years, because they know that this is the biggest attack vector on organizations in, using their systems, Microsoft a couple of years ago has, has started rolling out new um, global policies that uh, email admins can mm -hmm. implement that disable that auto-forward feature across the organization. Um, so... Uh, it's hard to respond to this without throwing shade at the um, COO and the leadership. Uh, of, oh, let me before I throw shade. The third factor, the third, the third um, opportunity to reduce this kind of attack on an organization is security awareness training. Mm -hmm. Security awareness training is now and and quite frankly has always been but it is, just hasn't been defined. But security awareness training is as important, if not more important, than having antivirus on your computer. Every single computer user today knows that the de facto security on a computer is antivirus, right? Mm -hmm. yep. but, but now the security world is saying security awareness training or bust. And what is security awareness training? This is the other problem I'm starting to see. Security awareness training is not yet uni universally defined. So people, uh, you see a lot of uh, companies sending their people to annual uh, uh, trade shows, webinars, CLEs, continuing le learning education, uh, association meetings. The, the legal industry has the bar associations and they, they have annual meetings and they will, it's a big day or two event where they can take all of these seminars and they can satisfy their yearly uh, continuing education credits in one or two days. You know what I mean? Um, they think if there's a if there's a technologist like me uh, espousing security awareness over, uh, on stage, they think that that it constitutes security awareness training for the year or for, for some reasonable period. It, it doesn't. The answer is it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Appropriate solution for security awareness training is a learning management system. It's software. It's a platform okay? it, that, that administers uniformly across the entire organization training that can be measured. Participation can be measured. Um, 
uh, participation can be measured and logged across the entire organization. If the COO skips the training, if the janitor skips the training, if the receptionist skips the training, that is measured. And now you know with what the, your attack vector is, what your weakness is, you know? Um, so sending so this haphazard, you know, continuing education effort and various webinars and things like that, that does not constitute um, the appropriate response uh, to the uh, human attack vector, which is the biggest one. So I'm on a ramp, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. Okay. And then I'm going to, I'm going to unkey. Yeah. The yeah. Go ahead. And then I'll, and then I'll have some follow-up questions for you, but I'll let you keep going. Uh, those, three, those three security controls, security awareness training, multi-factor authentication, and locking down a feature that, that mostly results in harm and, and no benefit to the organization. Um, those, I, I would venture to say that all, none of those three, none of the three things were implemented in, in this information system for the, for the city of New Haven. That's, that's where my, that's where my, I don't want to say frustration, but that's where my like emphasis comes from. It, it, that's where the emphasis in my voice is coming from, because this is, this is, you know, this is avoidable. This is, th th this kind of thing is, 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 is able to be mitigated in large part. Um, in addition to that, the COO should have orchestrated some sort of secure money distribution protocol. You know what I mean? Let's basically a, a process in which uh, the, that organization disperses funds when, when it's just well known that those funds are, are, are subject to attack. So um, here's the shade. shade. Shame on the leadership, the, the COO, the CIO, um, and, the, uh, and the, uh, the, the highest manager of New Haven and the BOE, the Board of Ed, because this is a failure from this is a failure from on top. This is not a fail, this is not a failure from the bottom up. This is a failure from the top down. And um, yeah, it, and then it's un, and unfortunately, it's a failure we see all too often. Go. No, I hear you. Um, and so one of the points in the article was obviously this stuff becomes political quickly, and they say, well, this is you know, from the mayors. So that backs up what you say is that it's, it's you know, got to come from top down and money should have been allocated to make sure they, they go through this, through this training. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing that somehow at the state level or something, there isn't, there isn't something that comes through that says, you know, each municipality or each school district has to have, you know, this, this type of training because it could be tied to funding, um, you know, saying you've got to do this or even, you know, whatever it is paid for by the state or, or contracted or whatever. Well, so the, Fed, the Fed has uh, the uh, NIST uh, um, risk management framework where mm -hmm. the federal government that ha Im implements a mandate to protect their systems um, using a known published framework. Mm -hmm. um, I admit that right off the top of my head, I don't know if the state um, of Connecticut rolls that down that mandate through you know using that as a guideline i'm gonna I'm, i'll actually do some research on that because that's a good question mm -hmm. and it looks like uh so the city's recovered three and a half million of the money but they don't obviously give any more details about how to if they think they'll be re, how they were able to recover that or if they think they'll be re, able to require any more recover any more of that um but that it, that's significant, at least that they got some of them back, some of them back, because that's really hard to do. It's once this money goes, you know, it'll, it'll be wired somewhere and then it'll be sent to a second account, third account and distributed and converted into, you know, cryptocurrency and washed through who knows how many different layers. So, yeah, I mean, the banking industry has a has a challenge and they need to make their they need to give people the the agency of moving their money when they want. Right. And right. how do you how do you create this escrow uh, where the Fed can claw? You know, you call the FBI and the Fed can help you claw back this money. You know, mm -hmm. it's you know maybe in a hundred years the, the, we'll 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 develop the technology and, and methodologies and systems in place. But um, relying on uh, the Fed to help you claw back half of six million dollars is not a is not a risk mitigation technique. Yeah. Definitely, it's not, and it's 
like with any of the security stuff, it's always a trade-off of cost, inconvenience, uh, speed, all that kind of stuff. That's you know, but that's that's the problem here. You you know, managing an information security system is not about checking all the box and sitting back going, "We're done. We did right. it." Okay. Um, very few organizations that I have, I have visibility to are doing everything they should do all the time. Okay. But when there comes a, there comes a certain maturity in an organization's life cycle where you're, you're not reacting to things, you're iterating on things, you're iterating on your processes. And that's what, that's where, where my frustration comes from is these security controls that I mentioned, these technical security controls, um, are well established among the security community, well established among the IT community, and and with 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 a reasonable amount of initiation, um, they sh they should have been closed. Um, this is clearly this is clearly an example of um, you know the, the lack of corporate governance, a lack of IT governance, a lack of um, you know performing basic risk assessments. And, and not knowing that you need to perform the risk assessments and not perf performing the risk assessments. And then if you can't, if you can't do what you have to do, you have to find the people to help you do the things that you need to do, you know? So this is why this is a failure on top because the, the top probably didn't know what it governance is. They probably didn't know what risk assessments or the imperative of the, of the risk assessments. They, they, so it's like the blind leading the blind. That's why the top fa failure from the top down. Because once you once you know what you have to do, then you can start start doing the thing that you have to do. And then when you can't, when you meet when you have a team, let's say that's incompetent or inept or unable, um, and no disrespect to the professionals that are there, it's just if you're not rolling this down from the top, um, it's not going to come from the bottom up. And I and I actually have visibility to a number of uh, corporations that are run this way. And, um, it's really unfortunate because it's, it's sustaining an economy of, uh, bad actors. Mm -hmm. That's what we're Yeah. So, so this is new Haven board of education. Do you think there's more, uh, in new Haven public school systems? Do you think there's more public school systems who read this and say, Oh, thank God our systems are in place. Or is there more that say, Oh crap, we, we better do something to prevent this from happening to us. Um, you know, you hope it's a wake up call, you know, but I don't, I don't want to be political or, or, uh, shit on, uh, government, government workers and, and the government, the, the government as an employer, but mm -hmm. I've seen people in the position of leadership, not, I've seen this so many times, not be, uh, not possess the skills required to take the responsibility for the station that they're in. Right. right. Um, and in general, you don't get any sort of political points for preventing anything. I mean, you don't, you know, not that that happened here, but, you know, preventing the crisis or preventing a terrorist attack or you don't get any points for that. It's all about reacting to what happens. That's what's going to get you the points and the headlines, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and I don't we don't have the story in front of us, but, you know, um, ECHN, I think, a major health network in in the northeast. And they they suffered a serious mm -hmm. attack a couple of weeks ago, too. I don't know the details of it, but seen it so many times that the, the story is almost the same almost every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a last question on this technical one. Do you have any preference as far as uh, on two factor authentication, the text the SMS service versus having a app on your phone, like a Google authenticator or. Semantic? Well, it's not a matter of preference. We know, we know what the more secure, there's a gradient of more secure versus less secure. Okay. So SMS is less secure than an authenticator app. An authenticator app is less secure than a hardware uh, smart key, uh, smart card, what have you. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Because I know they were, a lot of companies were doing that for a while, the, the six-digit codes, and they gave you a little keychain thing. And um, it seems like right. they've gotten away from that. But And those are less secure than biometric. So... Mm -hmm. That, you know, so an organization has to weigh their risk tolerance and say, 
you know, it's no, it's no, it's no second factor or multi-factor than it's SMS authenticator app, smart, smart card and biometric, you know, that's, that's where you, that's where you go. And I, I, nobody's listening at this point, but the funny thing is I, after this headline came out, I posted on LinkedIn, I think a poll and I said, and I asked uh, my network, I said, um, you can never have too much. Now you just heard me rant about security, right? And this, this attack did find my poll on LinkedIn, bring it up. If you, if you, if you're able, yeah, that's what I'm for. um, the poll, and I'd like to hear what they, and what, how you answered on this, but the, but I posed the question, you can never have too much, I don't know, cybersecurity or security in, in your organization, true or false. What did you answer? Yeah. Uh, let me make sure I get the, this is the one here. You did it a day ago. You got 18 votes. The question was, uh, you can never have too much security in your business. Uh, 61% said true looks like i clicked false congratulations um, yeah so the answer is clearly false right, right. It, security is a is a trade-off between usability and security that's right. that's how security works and i even added a kicker on um, a contribution below i said if you if you, if you had no locks on your front door you would have effectively no security right Mm-hmm. anybody for who can't handle a, a doorknob. So maybe a bear or a raccoons aren't coming in your house. Right. But um, we throw a door lock or two on there. And now we've added a reasonable amount of security for, for a large percentage of um, would be, uh, you know, people who seek to exploit, exploit your house or whatever. Um, and it balances your ability to get in the house reasonably uh, efficiently you know, um, and, uh, and then it balances security. So there's a balance there. And then of course there's risk tolerance. Okay. Do I want to vault my front door with 15 deadbolts to to mitigate a potential attack or like how many bolts do, how many deadbolts do I want on my door to, to, to weigh my convenience with security? You know, my, my mission, which is to use my door appropriately or be secure. Um, so the answer is definitely false. You can have too much security. The most secure computer is one that doesn't exist, but that doesn't make the tool very useful for a business. You know, the uh, computers and technology are capital. They're shovels. If you're if you're a hole digging company, you could dig the hole. This is an example I always use. You could dig the hole with your hands, or you could buy shovels. But once you buy shovels, you can dig more holes. You got to maintain the shovels. You got to buy the shovels. You got to maintain the shovels. You got to train people how to use the shovels. You know, um, computers are this exact same way. You can, can you can conduct business without computers, but you're gonna you lose the capital that they they give you. Um, right. So the most secure computer is one that doesn't exist, but that's not really practical. So you have to balance security with with um the mission of the company um yeah no it's funny i was i was thinking about the door example before i even read your read your comment on there because because there is the you know the other factor of you do have to be able to get into your house if there's a if there's an emergency too you know so it's like and out yeah right and And out out. you have to get out of the house sometimes you know efficiently So yes, um, and I actually it was funny because not, there's actually a v, there's like a I think a VP of a major um, technology software company, um, a security software company, that responded and he said you know true you you never have too much. <laughs> of course, he's a salesperson mm-hmm. for a security software company, and that I think speaks volumes of, of that disposition, but. Anyways, that's my rant. That's that's the headline. We're kind of running long. Um, do you have any? No, I, uh, I think that was uh, pretty good. Um, stamina for another one, or did you have anything that you yeah, wanted? Well, yeah, you you wanted to mention something about uh, something about Tesla and their apps. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to co-opt a whole show with my technology stuff. Did you? Is that cool? No, I mean, I think that's a that's a good crossover piece. So if you've got all right, so this is about that. Let me tone it down a little bit because I just totally got worked up about about that cybersecurity <laughs> attack. But um, 
you know, Tesla making headlines, Elon Musk making huge headlines. They're, they're, you, you, you give me the, the financial language. They're what the most valuable by market cap company or was there? Yeah, largest, largest market cap company in huge the world. Financial position of the company, right? And, every, and of course, what's interesting is Tesla is trading on multiples of earn, like crazy multiples of earnings, right? That are, that are um, uh, going against traditional investment. Uh, uh, models, right? Mm-hmm. So the argument has always been like, why are people giving this company such a high valuation compared to their present day earnings? And of course, anybody who's in, who, who can think about tech, technology over the last 50 years knows that, you know, uh, the net present value, if, is that the right term? The present value of, of a technology uh, doesn't represent it's opportunity value, right? Right. Yeah. So, and famously, Amazon did not make money for decades when they first, I mean, now they're starting to turn a profit, but that was always, how can they be one of the largest companies in the world and not make any money? And the answer was because, well, they took everything and they reinvested it because they, they saw the opportunity there. Um, but technology also has this adoption curve where it tends to once it starts getting adopted, the income opportunity just is like exponential, right? Compared to maybe traditional business models. I mean, yeah. you, can't, you can't make Coke and Pepsi just like catch fire. You know, and, you know, at some, you know what I mean? It's like you're, you have your unit sales. You're going to continue to sell units. Maybe some new markets open. You're going to expand your, your market. But what it is what it is. Technology, the proliferation and propagation of technology allows for those like um, in, in, insane curves. So anyways, that that to say... I've been saying for years, and I wasn't the only one saying this, but Tesla is a technology company, and one of the tech and and their cars they've been and Elon said it too, their cars are platforms, and really they're akin to smartphones if you think they're just computers on wheels. Everybody's been saying they're computers on wheels. A lot of the pundits, because they're not in the know, none of the real headlines, and even the technology pundits who talk about this don't really haven't been spending a lot of time on the fact that yes, it's a platform. And the day that Tesla releases an app store akin to the Google marketplace or the Apple app store. um, And then uh, their revenue is going, is going to explode. The innovation is going to explode for one. So imagine the usefulness, imagine your garage door opener, which is actually is exists now in the Tesla uh, uh, app. Imagine like your garage door opener is just an app now that you download to the, to your, your, your car rather than a manual clicker and, and all of this functionality. So this headline, which I don't think I have up on screen, but um, I could try to share it here. Do you have it up? Uh, I do not. Nope. I can, while you're looking for that, I can give you some reference on Point of reference on on Tesla. So when we talk about how expensive a company is, we talk about the price, which is the share price over the earnings, how much money they're making. So if you compare Tesla, they're at about a 67 price to earnings ratio, which would be kind of on the more expensive side. And for to put it in perspective, a company like Apple, who's still a technology company, who's probably the biggest comparison, has a PE ratio of half that of about wow. 40. Um, wow. So yeah, significant difference there. And then if you were to take it even further, um, pull up Microsoft, their PE ratio is about, uh, so they're at about, they're at 33. I actually would have thought those, them to be a little bit lower than Apple. I'd rather give it to Microsoft too. Yeah. Um, so anyways, a lot of words to say that this headline here, Tesla's first third-party app is here and it's all about fleets. So th- there's two, th- two things happening here in this headline. First, um, is that the con that e- that app store moment? I think has officially arrived in mm-hmm. in this headline, right? So now, third parties can develop apps for Tesla, and I don't know. I'm not, I, I haven't explored their developer ecosystem or SDK and app store, whatever. And quite frankly, I don't even have a Tesla. I don't own a Tesla, but. Um, this is kind of that moment that I've been kind of chirping about saying like even the investor, I think the investors who are giving that high valuation to their stock, like I think they're generic in their way of like, Oh, Tesla is a thought leader. They've got a great product. They're a technology, technology first company platform, blah, blah, blah. And they're going to be worth a ton. Right. 
But this is like the where the rubber hits the road. You know, this is like the meat and potatoes of why. Um, I wish I, I, you're a fast researcher. Can you can you pull up how much revenue Apple makes in services? They do they do break it out. Apple just had their um, quarterly earnings. Um, I want to say I just saw the chart. It was like uh, I want to say Apple makes over fifty percent, I think, of their revenue, and I think it's even closer to maybe seven. Yeah, yeah, their service revenue is twenty one billion, up five and a half percent year over year. Um, and what's that in per percentage? Service, service revenue is up as their device and their hardware is is down. Um, see Do you have the, the total revenue pie though? That yeah, I just want to compare what services are relative to the sale of their hardware. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for here. I think uh, hardware was like 15 percent of their revenue. So selling Macs and iPhones was are somewhere around 15, 20 percent of Apple's revenues, and like a large portion of the rest to so like. 50 to 70 i'm trying to be conservative because i don't want to mm -hmm. miss, misspeak but 50 percent of their revenue are attributed to services which basically means like digital downloads so when you right. download and pay for an app on the apple app store you 30 percent of your app fee goes to apple as the app host app store host so this is what why i get so worked up about this because this is that moment where Tesla becomes an open platform for apps and third party. Now, yeah. Apple's uh, Apple services are about 20% of revenues. 20%. Okay. So yeah. I was, I was over overestimating, but 20%. So 20%, but how much was it hardware? Do you see that, that on that same chart, what hardware was? Uh, I didn't have it. Uh, let's see. Uh, total, ser total services is 50, 53 billion. Um, that's right. Revenue. Still nearly a quarter of their revenue is, is just in software services. Yeah. Just just running the app store, 20% of, of Apple's revenue is just basically the Apple app store. Mm -hmm. And all they're doing is taking 30% of every Fortnite dollar, every Spotify subscription, every everything that you, you buy through the app store, that's 30, that's 20 percent of Apple's revenue. So this is that moment for Tesla. The second thing about this, and I, I don't want to linger on this too long, but the fu the function of the app is really compelling and interesting too. And this is where the um, this company's standard fleet, um, which is which is form a company formed by Apple and Tesla veterans, are basically building an open platform for rent for car rental fleets um, to track and manage the actual car so you can imagine hertz and whatever has all these cars now they can um, download this app on the car and then um, have various management functionality and metrics to it so mm -hmm. it's um it's really exciting that's yeah i think i found the chart where you're looking for here so if you see this this is the services revenue is the light green at top. So if you would draw a line from 2012 through current, you can see how services from just a growing portion of, of their revenue and probably the biggest declining. Um, iPad is the gray or the silver there. Uh, wearables is kind of back and forth. And then, of course, the iPhone is pretty steady at the bottom, although it's declining a little bit over the last three quarters. You see it kind of peaks with the new cycle of the, of the iPhone the mouse out of the way here but you can right, see right. it kind of peaks when the new iphone comes out and then tails off a little bit but definitely the big takeaway from this chart is the growing services growing services that is that is the takeaway i guess i missed yeah. I, I thought it was a significantly more i thought it was more than half but still nearly a quarter of revenue just in um, hosting an app store that's really all that is, is i mean i don't want to undermine their effort but it's the digital stuff that this is digital currency and transactions, and that's significant. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think Tesla over the next, well, 10 years, five years, you can see at least a 25% bump in revenue and profit related to um, to uh, digital services just by having an app store on their car. And then not to mention the innovation yeah. that, that we're going to see out of the car. I mean, that's that's really going to be exciting.
Right. And we've seen price drops from, from Tesla consistently, and maybe that's where they start to make up that, that revenue. I mean, Apple has never really done any sort of huge price drops on the, on the iPhone, but in theory, they could, they could, you know, give the iPhone away and still make money. You know, um, they're not going to do that, but, but maybe Tesla sees that as, all right, as their service revenue goes up, it's like, oh, screw it, give the car away because we'll be, we'll charge the subscriptions, we'll part, we'll charge the everything else, you know? Yeah, Google, Google and f the, the Google of auto manufacturers will probably do that. Fords and the GMs will give their cars away and, and ride on services just like the Android. But I have a feeling Tesla will always be the Apple, Apple of uh, new smart car. I don't know, maybe, but, yeah. you know, like... Apple says, why, why do we have to give it away? We just, just make, we can, we can yeah. position it as a premium product that you just got to have, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for go back to PE ratios for perspective, Ford's PE ratio is 11. So that's the difference. So people looking at Tesla as a car company and say, well, it's so much more expensive than Ford are looking at it the wrong way. Right. Yeah. So, uh, all right, that's, what do you say? You want to call it? Yeah. Right about um, an hour so. I'm Brian Williams from North Shire Consulting, which is a Connecticut-based investment advisory firm with dealing with small businesses and families. You can uh, go to NorthshireConsulting.com and book an appointment there at, at no cost to have a conversation. If it uh, makes sense to do some work together, you can find us on uh, social media platforms, 401k and beyond is our stuff there. And uh, Eric will close us out. I'm Eric Bierendorf, CEO of Evernet Consulting. We're a national IT and managed services provider. Uh, you can find us at evernetco.com. You can find us on all social at evernetco. You can find me on LinkedIn if you want me to uh, you want to catch up and chat. And uh, we record Finance and Technology Insights every Tuesday, uh, save for any uh, personal matters that get in the way. But otherwise, we're here every Tuesday. I think we, dr we drop Tuesday afternoon our recordings on YouTube and your favorite podcast network uh if you're if you made it this far give us a subscribe and a like and maybe tell us uh, give us a comment contribution tell us what you think of the show and that's all i've got all right we'll see you next week see you next week